I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm your host, Essie Fleenor, and my favorite number is five. I'm Sarah Century. My favorite number is infinity. <laughs> Today we have a question from Rhea via Instagram. See, you can reach out to us any way you want. From Instagram, Rhea asks, can we get an episode on animated shows? If you want to make it gayer, lol, you know we do. You can talk about the different ships like Bubbleine from Adventure Time, pretty much everyone on Steven Universe, pretty much everyone on She-Ra, but in general, I just love to hear a conversation on this most recent era of animated shows. Oh, Rhea, thank you so, so much. I'm rubbing my hands together like a creep. I love this. I'm so excited. Yeah, I mean, these were all really good shows. So good. So, yeah, let's start with Adventure Time. I'm actually re-watching Adventure Time because, hello, quarantine. And I'm writing a binge guide about how to watch it and just watch the Marceline episodes because, hi, that's the best part. And, yeah, I think it's really good. On a rewatch, I'm even, you know, the first time I go through anything, especially if I know it was made by <clears throat> white men, I tend to be very, like, my hackles are raised. I'm ready at any time for something to be so offensive I can't keep going. And I will say Adventure Time's use of... Ice King? It's Ice King. The best <laughs> thing about Ice King is his relationship with Marceline. I think that's actually a really interesting story. The worst part is how he kidnaps women all of the time. What the fuck? And fu it's like, haha. How is that funny? You know women are kidnapped all the time. Like, this is a real thing that when you fictionalize and make like, oh my gosh, Ice King, it's a real oh, bummer. Oh, here's you doing it again. 
He's always keying up to something bad again. And it's like, well, maybe we should have a world, well, or you should have a future where, like, that's not funny. So, Ice King aside, pretty fucking solid show. Big fan. I really love the relationship between Princess Bubblegum and Marceline. I actually like the slow burn of it, especially because it's like a a children's cartoon. And because at the time, Cartoon Network had a kibosh on anything queer in children's programming. And because they were salty exes. And salty exes is always so fun. It's so hard. I mean, if you can't have people be in a committed, loving relationship, the second best thing is salty exes. Because they, like, struggled with their feelings the entire series. So it's, it's actually so like good. every queer relationship gets put off until the last episode, like Xena. But they're super into each other through this entire series. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, there's like a, I can't remember what the episode is called, but they're at the door that they have to sing at to then get in. And this is like the first time I remember being like, oh, Marceline, Bubblegum, you got some drama, some baggage. And I want to see more of that. I just can't, that song. Also, all of Marceline's songs are so good. Which, like, thank you, Rebecca Sugar, for your service to our <laughs> songstress. Yeah, I mean, that is one of the most likable couples, I think, in modern television, even. I think that, you know, you have the classic dichotomy of the person who's kind of a rebel and <laughs> wears a lot of black, and then the literal princess. I think that that's obviously <laughs> the, something the that bright every person, pink princess. <laughs> every person is into that. I'll say that it's one of the matchups that we see a lot, but it's because it's so classic, and we all, I think, we're really rooting for those two. I'm sure that there were some people who shipped other people <laughs> with them, but that's just bizarre these two were obviously made for each other so i I love that they have like a thousand year long relationship or whatever it is you know like they've of course they've been together and of course they've broken up and you know i love that they end up back together and looking out for each other at the end it's like so cute ah i mean i love the salty exes stuff i love their conflict i also love when Marceline, she's trying to reconnect with the Ice King. Again, this is the best Ice King we see. And she's at the Ice King's house and and she's trying to be like, oh, you're Simon. You're this person I I used to know who actually saved my life as a child. Like, I care about you and I feel really complicated about the fact that you don't remember who you are. Very sweet. So we see this huge side of Marceline, especially because she's presented so antagonistic. And one of my favorite reads is like that over time, she's just like kind of lost her connection to humanity at this point. And sort of regains it through her friendship with Finn, Jake, and Princess Bubblegum. Who's not human, but is much more connected to her humanity than I would say Marceline is at the beginning. But who knows? I'm not a scholar on these things. But uh, I really love that Ice King is like, oh, have you met any cute boys? And there's this moment where Princess Bubblegum... And Marceline make eye contact and they're like, L-O fucking L. Like, let's not do this here, but right. And I have done that with exes. Like, we have walked into a room and someone's like, oh, are you two sisters? And we look at each other and we're just like, let's not correct it. Like, let's just not, let's just not right now. And I just thought that was like a really real moment of being a queer femme presenting person in the world, you know? Yeah, while adhering to strict censorship <laughs> guidelines. Exactly, so. right? Like, so they had to. And I again, like, I think that's, we have to acknowledge that when we talk about this. Like, you're right, Sarah. A lot of these storylines are really great, but they also have a lot in common with 1930s cinema, where they were trying to sneak through some gay stuff, and they had to do it in a very, very clever way. So have we come a long way? 
little <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I also think, like, the, the story of how we actually finally got a bubbling kiss is pretty important. Because yeah. it was written without the kiss. And the person who was storyboarding, a woman was like, are you kidding me? Come on, let them kiss. And I think I actually wrote something like that in the margins. And so yeah. they changed how the the episode played out. And instead of having them be like a side hug, like gals pals, they let them actually kiss. And again, like, I think that was the first queer kiss on Cartoon Network and, and children's programming. People would have been fucking devastated if you did not do that so oh my god of course for everybody who was watching out on that one because the sheer happiness that that one kiss granted so so much of fandom is nothing to be dismissed that was huge for so so many people and the fact that it came this fucking close to not even happening is kind of upsetting because you know I, how the hell else are you gonna end their story i'm with you because i don't think i would even like Adventure Time if they hadn't done that. Because even that simple kiss, it just suddenly justifies everything. Because so much of being a queer person watching TV is learning how to read the coding, right? Or like film, TV, books, comics, anything. It's knowing how to read the coding and be like, oh, there's my people. Oh, that person's (laughs) like me. Whenever a woman shows up who is interested in art and wears a black turtleneck, I'm just like, (laughs) the lesbian has arrived. But (laughs) literally nobody else ever reads it that way. I'll be with a group of people, even queer people, and we'll be watching it and I'll be like, yeah, she was the lesbian. I loved the lesbian the most. And people are just like, what are you talking about? There was no graphic lesbian sex in that (laughs) i'm just like yeah but coding you know that that lady who has a long necklace around her neck has like a black turtleneck you know looks literally like susan sontag because that's still the lesbian stereotype like 70 years later oh my god you know i mean you just know you can just visualize and read these things that that person is supposed to be a highly sexual lesbian character Well, and you know, and there's so much stereotyping of lesbians as non-sexual too. So that's a piece of it as well. But yeah, I mean, I think you learn how to read the coding because that's a survival mechanism, right? In a world that desperately wants to erase your existence and the existence of people like you, you learn how to survive by reading between the lines. They still want to use you as a fucking storyline though. So like, I mean, there's still gay people in cinema. That's just kind of the thing that is always baffling, you know, is, is that with a lot of these cartoons, people are willing to let you go so far. You're not always willing to commit to that. But the fact is that doesn't mean that they're not fucking, you know, mining our goddamn lives for story arcs. Like, they definitely do that too, you know? Absolutely. I I completely agree. And I I think that it's where the barrier gaze trope is so prevalent and comes back time and again. Luckily, none of these cartoons do that. Also, I can't imagine a cartoon where that would happen, but I'm sure it exists. And I think that that kiss says to the audience, you're not a piece of shit who's crazy and made this up. It's here. It's canon. And it's important, too, because for people who would be like, oh, come on, you're reading between the lines a little too much, which how many times have I heard that? My God. It's like, oh, am I? Here's a little on-screen smoocherino so you can know that I'm not making shit up. And in general, their relationship is really sweet. But I do think had they not kissed at the end, I would not say that Adventure Time is one of my shows I like. Oh, yeah. No, it would not age even remotely as well, (laughs) like, at all. I mean, I think that that's one of the big problems when we talk about Xena or something is people go, yeah, I mean, it was so subtextual that it really kind of annoys me to watch it back. (laughs) So I don't know. 
I have watched zero Steven Universe, even though I've watched your panel. I've watched a lot of people talk and do interviews and things like that. I have watched none of it. So you're going to have to be the person who carries us through the Steven Universe time. (laughs) Oh, my God. Steven Universe is amazing. It's amazing. I know you don't watch a lot of TV, Sarah. So, like, I get it. You get a pass. I know. Um, get there someday. It's I know kind you of just will. one where it's like, I'm going to watch it all at once someday. Well, and there's like 50 plus episodes in the first season. You know, it's like, sure. it's okay. That's going to take you a minute. The episodes are 11 minutes long. So, that is like a saving grace, just like Adventure Time, shorter form. But yeah, Steven Universe is incredible. Created by Rebecca Sugar, a non binary woman who really cared about queer representation being super positive. She did work on Adventure Time, as mentioned. She's a a big part of why Bubbling came together and a huge part of the musical elements of Adventure Time, especially as they get better. You'll be like, hmm, why'd the songs all get better? Ah, Rebecca Sugar was there. So Steven Universe is all those great things brought to a very different story, incredible music, incredible world building, beautiful relationships between people. If you haven't seen Steven Universe, I want to give you this opportunity right now to pause the episode and skip ahead because I'm going to spoil some things because you can't really talk about the shipping without spoiling some aspects of it. So basically, Steven's a half-human, half-gem hybrid. Gems are aliens from a planet called Homeworld, gem homeworld, if you will. And all of the gems are coded as non-binary women. And Steven is like, there's a kid who's like, I'm my mom, kind of, blah! And like, turns out he is kind of his mom because his mom gave up her physical form to give birth to him because gems don't procreate. Gems make new warriors and whatnot out of the soil. So it's like a really cute thing. He and his friend Connie are like BFFs. As the series unfolds, you realize Steven is trans and gender non-conforming. And so that's pretty fun. I think the kids are like weirder to ship, but oh, let's talk about some gems. Okay, so first and foremost, the love of my life, the only person I would die for, I say that about literally everything I, I watch and read, so don't at me, Garnet. Garnet is the best. Garnet is a, you know, tall woman who is black and has like a sort of fro and a beautiful British accent. And she is sort of like the main gem in charge. And then her buddies are Pearl and Amethyst. Yes, they're all named for gems. And we learn about Garnet as Garnet. Then we learn that, oh my gosh, who knew? Gems confuse. So at one point, Pearl and Amethyst fuse, and they become Opal, who is not either of them, but connected to them, influenced by both their physical and personality characteristics, and is like a new person. I love Opal. She's so cool. Garnet, it turns out, is the fusion of a ruby and a sapphire, who have chosen to live together because they're in fucking love. So they are presented as a queer couple the first time we see them. They actually kiss in the first episode that they appear in, but it was censored when it appeared on Cartoon Network, I believe. And then now it is non-censored if you get a version of it. They end up having a wedding that's really adorable. They're an interesting representation also of like maybe polyamory because they do fuse with other people. They fuse together. They fuse with Pearl, with Amethyst. They're great. And the other character I ship, oh, is Florite. Florite is a very minor character, but she is, I think, eight or nine gems who've decided to live Together, I have chills all over my body. And they, at one point, they're flirting with Garnet. And Garnet's like, how do you decide? Like, are you done? Are you going to get more gems? And then they like, they kind of like lean towards her and they're like, 
We're always looking for someone else who might want to join. And it's, like, so cute. Oh, my God, I just love it. So, yeah, <laughs> Steven Universe is just, like, a big fucking queer party. It's the best. Yes. I know a lot of people. I know that our sound engineer, Kate, appreciates Steven Universe because yes. she sometimes breaks into song with you and your partner. <laughs> um, <laughs> that I work. have not watched it, but I'll get around to it and then I'll let y'all know what I think. But, it's great, too, because there's like a lot of sadness. <laughs> and so like I feel like being sad is a part of queer culture. It's a part of being alive. To be fair, yeah. but it's definitely. What was the quote from Tara? <laughs> we asked, like, who do you relate to the most? Our friend of the pod, Tara Bannon, was like, I relate most to whoever's saddest. <laughs> <laughs> Still, my favorite line because I was like, holy shit, I think I'm the same. <laughs> yeah, like, whoever's sense. crying, I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm I'm now <laughs> crying with you. And you know, and also like Pearl, we find out that like actually she and Steven's mom were together for a long time, like 5,000 years. And then Rose met Steven's dad and they got together. It doesn't seem like she and Pearl broke up because of it, but when she chose to give up her form, that was like a pretty clear breakup with both of them. And there's a whole reason, like once you get through all of the seasons, and I'm not going to tell you that now, you'll realize like, oh, there's a real reason this character gave up her form and it has to do with her own guilt and culpability and some things, but it's not as cut and dry as it seems. That's the other thing I'll say about both Adventure Time and Steven Universe is they do their world building so freaking well. They don't start with like a, then at one point in time, there was a blah, blah, blah. Or they don't start at quote unquote, the beginning. They both just drop in, in media res. We start in the story and you have to sort of piece together. Like Adventure Time takes place after a nuclear fallout on the planet, but you don't know that until you sort of piece the clues together. And then they have some episodes where they directly address it. Steven Universe, you don't really know, like, why is this kid with these, like, aliens? And, like, why are they his moms? But also, like, they're not his moms. And then you piece together, like, the story of what happened and why they're on Earth and what they're doing. And I think both unfold very beautifully. Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's talk about She-Ra. Okay, I can talk about She-Ra. Yeah, I watched She-Ra whenever I was a little girl, and I have to say that I turned into a gay person, so I think that this is a pretty (laughs) queer show. (laughs) Have you seen the new reboot? Oh, yeah. Um, So I watched, obviously, the first season. I don't think I've watched any seasons after that. They came out so quick. There's been like four seasons in less than a year. Oh, yeah. They're nailing it. It's great. A lot of queer people behind that show, which is nice. It's somebody who comes, I mean, a couple of people who come from independent comics world. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we're seeing major animation deals with Netflix and stuff like that coming out of independent Not that many people read it, like, whatever. There was a certain era of cartoonists that a lot of times, you know, got really dismissed. And I think a lot of them have done really well for themselves. So that's definitely nice to see. And the fact that we just have such a queer lens on this show now that's kind of unavoidable. I mean, Bo, obviously queer, like, (laughs) Catra, Scorpia, (laughs) like, all of those characters. I mean, even Adora, I would say, to some extent, is pretty strongly. That fucking hair poof, that's the queerest shit I've ever seen. I mean, yeah, there's always going to be the issues of who gets to do what and what stories we get to tell. But I think for a show that doesn't have any on-panel kissing, really, between queer couples, that this is still 
unbelievably gay. <laughs> like there's possible ships in all directions. So <laughs> I don't know. I think that, you know, there's been some criticism. I remember somebody writing that piece that was how they're queer baiting and all of this. And I'm just like, I mean, it can't really be queer baiting because it is totally queer artists who make it. And these characters just kind of are queer. I don't know. Like, there's not a conversation around And they're around children. It. Like, they're all... And they're children. Like, we're like, not going to see them fuck on screen because they're children. And also, it's a yeah, children's well, show. Like, what are you... Yeah. Like, we can talk about queer baiting, and we should. And we should have a very critical conversation about it. But I think sometimes people misdirect that fire at queer creators. And it's like, what are you doing? Like, don't do that. It's like they said that yeah. about Killing Eve, too. And it's like, no, we see... She wants to bone her, like, the whole time. Well, and like, she does the- bone other women. She bones yeah. other women. Like, come Sandra on. Sandra O's character, right? That whole situation. It's so, so queer. But it's also, that person's a murderer. Like, yeah. it would be hard to date that person. Villanelle. You know? Villanelle. So That's even though there's such a strong rapport between those two characters, and it is a very queer relationship, and obviously they totally want to get it on, I think that, yeah, you can't, just say, well, they don't, so it's queer baiting because I mean, she's a killer. Like, you would not want to. She's getting so dragged into it already, you know? She's exactly. already crossing tons of professional lines. And oh my is God. Completely right? obsessed with her. So I it's like it. she's already crossing every moral line. And then she's kind of like, if I have sex with this person, then everything is over. <laughs> like, yeah. I yeah. can't go back to my life, you know? So it's the one thing that stands between her and just kind of becoming a complete asshole herself. You can't really say queer baiting to that because there's great reasons for her not to sleep with Villanelle. Well, and it's a terrible metric. If your metric is it's queer baiting if they don't have sex, right? that's a problem. Because that's... Sure. Queer people, we are, we are not boiled down to our sex acts. Like, that is not existence. Plus, also, like... Asexual people exist. Asexual lesbians exist. Asexual non-binary people exist. Ace and arrow people are real. And so we can't make everything solely about sex acts. A, because we don't want to go down that road. You don't want to be like the only way you can prove your queer is by who you fuck. I don't want that. Yeah, Yeah, especially since like I literally like never have sex. (laughs) (laughs) I think I made a joke about dating people like every three years. And that is very true of me. So, uh, yeah, I mean... If not having sex meant I wasn't a lesbian anymore, I would probably be straight by now. But, like, (laughs) it just is such a bullshit metric. Exactly. Because people have totally different lives, expressions, needs, wants, (laughs) all of those things. And, you know, whatever it is, it fucking is none of your business. If somebody says that they're gay, they're gay. And even in these stories, you know, where people aren't explicitly stating that they are gay, like... There's enough queer overtones to it that you can kind of just let that go. Well, and there's <laughs> like an you don't... explicitly non-binary character in Double Trouble, right? And right. even even the villain aside always gets their pronouns right. Even the good guys always get their enemies' pronouns right. And those are the things that make the series so damn queer. I mean, the pastel rainbow goodness from the fucking start of the theme song, sorry, pretty gay. <laughs> the hair yeah. poof, pretty gay. Bo's fucking little belly thing, that's bi as fuck. <laughs> like, come on, these people are queer. Glimmer is a sparkly pastel princess <laughs> who's got thick yeah. hips, you know? <laughs> like, 
What a Cuervo. You know, like, and that's, and I get why people get really intense. Like I do, because queer coding, we get gaslit about it. We get told like, no, those people aren't queer. I get that also queer coding doesn't quite satisfy our need to see representation and it shouldn't. But also like, let's, let's aim that critique at the right people. If we want to be yeah, pissed maybe like at the straight people exactly. <laughs> who actually capitalize off this stuff or like are or the, the only networks who, get who are to making write. the decisions or the the people who are choosing what stories should be told. Like that's where we need to direct that ire. Shira is queer. I mean, Scorpia is like a big butch lesbian who's desperately in love with Katra, and she says it all the time. Sometimes she uses the word friend. Sometimes she just says, I want to spend time with her. When will she want to spend time with me? Those things are expressions of attraction and love and and connection that are queer, even if we don't have the perfect label for them. You know, that's the other thing to think about is like, this is a world where it seems to me homophobia doesn't exist. Transphobia doesn't exist. And that's the world Noelle Stevenson wanted to play in. One where we didn't have to all walk around with like a, hello, I'm queer. Hello, I'm bi. Hello, I'm gay. You know, like signs, because it could just be intrinsically part of the world. That's not enough for every show. It's not enough for straight creators. It's not enough for networks. But when a queer creator is like, hey, I'm going to create something so fucking queer that everyone's queer, you got to be like, fuck yeah, I'm in. You know, like it's so good. You see people of all kinds of indeterminate genders in this show who are in relationships with each other, who are carrying each other, who are like almost dying to protect one another. I don't know. How much queerer can you get? Right. I mean, I've written stories that are about entire marriages where nobody has sex. Like, (laughs) I think that there's just that emphasis on that, I guess, is very bizarre. And it's definitely something that pops up a lot. So I think, obviously, when we're fucking saying that about cartoons, that gets real sketch. But then whenever we're talking about something like, you know, Kitty Pride sexuality or something, why is it important? Because it's literally been erased. So yeah, that's a big problem. You know, mm-hmm. this is a big difference. It's also by a bunch of, like, straight people and, you know, people who have a vested interest in not ever making that character be bisexual, you know, because of this, this, and this, and this, and none of them are really valid reasons for a lot of queer fans. So yeah, I don't know. I think that these cartoons all do a great job of actually their queer representation, because once again, I mean, we are talking about a show that is like for everybody, but you know, for kids as well. So (laughs) it's like all ages. Got to kind of keep it light on this stuff. And then also there's tons of subtext everywhere. All of these characters behave queer, you know, like I think that that's all extremely important stuff that really gets dismissed in that conversation. And I'm kind of glad that there's less of that conversation popping up lately, I guess. Absolutely. And then I feel like we have to give a salute to like the first lesbian in a trench coat and a big hat. Our girl, Carmen Sandiego. I mean, she has to be a root because good God. So what are the things that make us think of Carmen Sandiego as a lesbian? I would say her incredible dress sense. How elusive she is. (laughs) She's good at stealing. (laughs) (laughs) She's good at stealing your girlfriend. (laughs) Yeah, lots of things. Um, Fashion sense. Girlfriend. Yeah. Wide brim hat, very lesbian. Mm -hmm. Trench coat, very lesbian. These are all very lesbian things. The fact that she likes to do things like (laughs) jump backwards off a cliff while laughing and, you know, all of a sudden like an Inspector Gadget helicopter pops out of her backpack and she flies away. That's all stuff that lesbians do. That's called getting ghosted by a lesbian. I'm just like, actually, that's how most of my breakups take place. (laughs) You You just just step step backwards off a cliff. (laughs) 
and then you fly away and never talk to them again if you can avoid it. That's the greatest thing I've ever heard. Of course, in this show, they keep following her around. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I'd say that she always kind of struck me as that, just because she's also not tied to anybody. She doesn't have that strong of alliances. She has a lot of people working for her, but she's kind of on her own. And then, of course, they totally like parodied Carmen Sandiego a little bit with Lucy Diamond in the movie Debs. So (laughs) I think all of those things make her read extremely gay. And they had a new cartoon, which I thought was pretty good. I mean, it had its issues and kind of, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, it was fine. It had some really cute moments. Like, I like there's a moment where the kids are, like, in a jail and they're, like, kind of bored. And so they start singing the Carmen Diego song. But then, like, everybody's, like, into it. They're like, we're in the world. And then they let the kids out of the jail. I thought that was, like, super duper funny. So, yeah, yeah. it has some highlights, some lowlights. But, you know, for me, Carmen is just, she's the epitome of independence and of creating a world she wants to live in right her name isn't Carmen Sandiego right (laughs) but like that's what everyone knows her as because that's the name she chose and that to me all the badass lesbians I've known in my life are people who are like no you choose who you get to be you name who you are oh you're not you're not whatever people told you you were okay baby choose a new name like what do you (laughs) want it to be you know and like I see that in Carmen a lot yeah so I mean that's another good recent cartoon are you ready to shop Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. But yeah, I don't know. We like cartoons. It's been pretty fun to talk about how gay they are. (laughs) Like usually they're not queer baiting (laughs) because that's pretty extreme accusation to level at a show that is uh, for all ages. Go watch them. The end. So I really like doing this podcast, and I think that's something that we're in agreement on. Yes. Hard same. Oh, good. All right. Well, I just wanted to clear the air on that. (laughs) And I think that if I could choose anything to just do for a really long time, it'd probably be this podcast. So if you want to support us doing this podcast, we have a Patreon, which funds all kinds of things. For instance, website, Kate, who is our sound engineer, music that we paid for that's from earth control pill that we love branding that we think is super sharp you'll notice that our sound quality is pretty damn high 
That's because Sarah and I put a lot of energy into making sure that our podcast is of quality. We don't want to sound like we're in our garage recording, even though we might be. You don't know. You can't see me. Also, literally no shade to you if that is what you were doing. That is like 90% of the podcast I listen to, and it is Which great. is great. We just want to have a different feel, you know? <laughs> so if you like us, you could go to Patreon, and you could give us a pledge, and we have pledges from $2 to $20. What are some of our tiers? It's really fun. We have them like comic themed. So to, you know, capitalize on that comic book goodness, our four tiers are the $2 tier of sidekick super support. And everybody at a tier of $2 or higher gets two free comic reviews a week. Sarah and I review comics we've been reading and tell you what's great about them, which ones you can skip, and usually make a lot of ghostwriter jokes because Sarah's been reading a lot of ghostwriter. <laughs> yeah, it's been a ton, and I'm just going to keep that going because I have a lot of fun with it. It's so much fun. It's one of my favorite parts of listening. <laughs> then we have the $5 level or higher, and that's our super pet of power. And y'all get a personally curated comic book reading list from the prior month's episodes. So yeah, we know that sometimes we drop a lot of comic book names and it's hard to keep track. Baby, don't worry about it. We wrote it down for you. <laughs> At the $10 tier, which is our suave superhero, you get all of the stuff we've mentioned before, plus access to special monthly episodes where we review books, TV shows, movies. Usually they have some kind of, if not comic book, genre tie-in, but you know what? The world is our oyster. And also at that level, you get access to our super duper special monthly episode, which we were calling Intoxicated Comics, but we sound sober in it. So maybe we'll call it Sober Comics because that <laughs> seems like a better name. Drunk but sound sober. Drunk but sound sober comics. And then at the highest level, our heroic HBIC, that's right, our heroic head bitches in charge. At the $20 <laughs> level or higher, you're going to get everything we've mentioned before, plus access to a personalized, private, oh-so-exclusive Spotify playlist that goes with your reading list that everybody got at the $5 level or higher. We also do a ton of other bonus content, especially when things are rough. During lockdown, we've been doing a ton of new different recordings about things that we think people would enjoy reading or watching. We also have a super active Instagram, a super active Twitter, where we post comic book panels, places where you can find free comics right now. All of that is our contribution to continuing to build a beautiful comic book community full of fearless feminists and queer folks who want to make this the coolest community to be part of. And you know where you can join us? On patreon.com slash bitches on comics. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. I was like you should go to Patreon. This week's comic of the week is Butch Heroes by Rhea Brodell. Ah, oh, what a cool project. So it's a little bit different than most of the comics we've been reviewing. It is a queer history project and slash art history project that is about retelling the stories of butch people throughout history. And a lot of these people were punished for their butchness to different degrees, and a lot of them aren't remembered in history, really. 
And so part of what Brodell is doing in this project is reclaiming that history and putting it in in the context of the time, describing people with the language that probably best represents them and without making any judgments about anyone's gender identity. I think it's really bold in part because there is a lot of discussion about gender identity and I know there can be some animosity between people who think that trans identities are a threat to butch identities and Brodell is like, no, we are not going to do that. We are just going to talk about who people were. We don't have to give them a new label or tell them who they have to be or what. We're just going to use the term butch without ascribing a gender identity term and just explore these identities. It is so cool. It covers people throughout history of all kinds of, again, gender identities, but also of all kinds of racial identities. It shows people in these beautiful illustrations that Brodell created that are just really touching. And like some of them are while people are being punished. And so they're being depicted as they were punished. But even in that, there's such a tenderness to the depiction and such an honoring of that person's experience. It's really freaking powerful, I've found. Yeah, I mean, there's no disputing the powerfulness of this comic. It tells you these life stories broken down people I never would have read about. I'm a history buff. You know, I've read tons and tons and tons of history. We're almost always written out. So the fact of just being able to read this and to have, you know, any kind of a centering of butch identities, I think, is really important because, of course, that is something that, I mean, I'm cis lesbian. I feel like people who look like me are pretty much the only representation, you know, in a lot of movies that we see and stuff like that. It's kind of femme for femme stuff all of the time. So just having a celebration of that at all <laughs> is a huge, huge thing. We don't see it, you know, so it's very interesting to see it. Also, it being tied to so many historical events is very interesting to me because you're looking at these things, these massive events, and you're going, always there were queer people in every part of history, like every single step of the way, you know, we had queer people and here's what we know of their stories. And so little of it remains. So many more people must have existed who had queer identities of all kinds and we just don't know about them. And so it's easy for people to just say queer happened five years ago or something or like that's something that's only existed for the last hundred years. You know, gay people didn't even exist before that, except for like Oscar Wilde or something. And it's just like, no. There's Bullshit. always been queer people. <laughs> we just got forced into marriages and gross, terrible situations. So or I just in, don't in think in these it's stories, fair. like some people lived as another gender. There are lots of people who lived as men in the world in this book without knowing if that was their identity or not. We can't make a judgment, but they right. lived as men so that they could be with their partners. And it's really incredible to see how queer people have always been really fucking good at gaming the system, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. and to me, that's really hopeful. And these stories date back to the 15th century in the book. And I think there, there are even some older ones if you go to Brodell's website. And I also think it's like really important that Brodell himself is non-binary and trans and identifies as butch and wanted to talk about what is this lineage I have inherited through this journey. And I think it's incredibly intimate like you said, incredibly powerful for giving context to historical events and filled with so much respect and love that it's really powerful. 
like we said, powerful to read. And I found it deeply emotional. Like I had to read it in like four bio chunks because I was just be like bawling. Just like, I didn't know. I didn't know these people existed. I didn't know what life was like. You know, I think that we have a society that works very hard to keep LGBTQ plus people isolated and to keep us convinced that we are new and we are wrong. Just like you were saying, Sarah, and to read all of this and be like, God damn it. We've always been here. We were everywhere and we will continue to be everywhere. Gave me so much hope, even in the face of the horrible things that happened to some of these people who are portrayed in the book. Right. But then there's stories too, like the person who was just given the opportunity would not live as a woman anymore, you know, like just wouldn't do it and was put to death as a result of that. And that's so brave. And it's, you know, the kind of bravery that nobody talks about it. We talk about how brave it was for like Paul Revere to ride a horse through a town. <laughs> like We talk about whatever else, you know, like everybody else gets these heroic arcs, but in some cases and not very often, but some cases you'll see people talk about, you know, people who were victims of inquisitions and things like that and the bravery that they showed and that is epic bravery like there's no denying that but queer people are never a part of that story and just being able to see how much of a part we always are you know was such a important thing I guess because even though a lot of these stories end tragically there's not any guarantee that our stories don't end tragically like we all live in these tumultuous times and hatred towards gay people or queer people has not gone away and it won't you know (laughs) like probably not anytime soon unfortunately maybe someday you know in the future that we're all working for but not today so I think about it and like think about how people will try to erase our stories too so the fact that hundreds of years from now somebody might go oh that person you know really did something for their community or like really accepted themselves in this really brave way that we don't hear about. That's the utmost of hope because that means that from the very beginning, we're talking to ourselves, you know, like a thousand years down the line, we're having these extended conversations with people in the future and people in the past. And so that means that we never stop existing. So I think that that's all really beautiful. Absolutely. And I I think that the transness of the book is really important Totally. In addition to, I mean, there's so many layers here. We could just, we could talk about this all day. I mean, there's just so much to take from it. But I want to talk a little bit about the transness in my experience with it, because I think that there are a lot of people who think that you're only trans if you go through a medical procedure, or you're only trans if you use HRT, or you're only trans if, 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 if. I identify as trans, I'm a non-binary person, and it can be really tempting to to minimize my own experience of the world because I don't do those things, or I haven't yet is a better way of putting that because transitioning is a lifelong process, I firmly believe. And I think that what's so hopeful about this is Rodell really says, like, these are trans stories, these are butch stories, these are non-binary stories. And it's all of them. And we don't have to give any single person any label. We can just accept what they went through, who they were, like you said, Sarah, their bravery and being themselves and helping their community and really honor those stories. That's something that I think is really, really powerful because it provides, again, like we were talking about, this counter narrative that says like there were never gay people. And I see anytime we go into the archive, anytime we reclaim stories, it's a very Foucauldian practice. And, you know, Michel Foucault was like, listen, let's go back to when, let's go back to when, and really believed in looking at what was in the archive 
And instead of accepting things for where they are, examining them from where they came from. And so, you know, he does the the history of madness, quote unquote, and he talks about where did asylums come from? They came from blah, 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 blah. The importance of history is in not the dominant narrative, but in all the counter narratives that live within that narrative or don't live within that narrative. And I think that in that way, Brodell has done something truly, truly profound to say that queer people, trans people, non-binary people are here, have been here. And even when you have tried to snuff us out by killing us, by rendering our identities illegal, by making life damn near impossible to live, by making our sexual acts illegal, we will fucking survive. If in nothing more than memory and lineage to one another. And by Brodell creating this series of paintings that tell the stories of LGBTQ people, we all are benefiting from being able to say, like, these are my ancestors. This is where I came from. Something I think about a lot is how hard it is to trace lineage when you don't have birth lineage. I was adopted as a kid. I know my biological family, but they don't. I'm like a child of adoption. So my mom doesn't know her dad. My grandma didn't know her dad, so on and such forth, my biological family. And so there is this sort of question mark that happens and sort of where do I come from? Who am I? What does it mean to be alive? And being queer is a huge part of who I am. Being trans is a huge part of who I am. Being non-binary is a huge part of who I am. And so I get this alternative lineage that I can look at and say, like, this is where I came from. This is whose memory I'm trying to keep alive. This is who I'm trying to honor with my actions and choices in the world. To me, it's an incredibly hopeful project, even in its pain and its honoring of painful experiences. And I just, I cannot recommend it highly enough. I think that Butch Heroes is absolutely required reading. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The end. Yeah. We're a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So (laughs) we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot. T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, there's no I'm bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor, and you can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization.
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.